0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Tonight we take you back to the story of someone who at the age of 15 was identified by the highest levels of the United States government and who worked in some of the most sophisticated and classified areas. It's not that often that we have these discussions. He'll also share stories of when he was a child, spending time with Viola Armstrong, Neil Armstrong's mother. And what Neil himself told him was the reason why we did not go back to the moon. This and much more on this week's Veritas.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview, and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button, at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. David Adair
1: is an internationally recognized leader and expert in space technology spin-off applications for industry and commercial use. At the age of 11, he built his first of hundreds of rockets, which he designed and test flew. At 17, he won the Most Outstanding in the Field of Engineering Sciences Award from the U.S. Air Force. At 19, he designed and fabricated a state-of-the-art mechanical system for charging jet turbine engines for the U.S. Navy, that set world record turnaround times that still stand today. He is a world-class presenter and keynote speaker, seminar and workshop leader, and consultant. His presentations include little-known facts and anecdotes from his involvement with the space program, commercial technology development, films, and the things he has seen at Area 51. Adair, who was a rocket prodigy as a child, said he was invited to Area 51 to view an exotic craft in 1971, which had electronic crystals that channeled plasma. From there, he developed a fusion containment configuration with coiled magnets that would act like a black hole. Upon testing, it left a huge white vortex behind, ripping through the atmosphere in seconds, he said, adding that such technology, if properly developed, could send a craft to Mars in a matter of minutes. And directly from inside a mountain, that he dynamited in order to build his home in Morganton, North Carolina. I'm privileged to welcome David T. Adair back to Veritas. Hello, David, and welcome back. How are
2: you? I'm doing fine, Mel. How about you?
1: I am fine, thank you. And we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but that's usually what happens when you and I talk, right? But what I just said, it's it's not a joke, folks. So you just told me that you purchased some land, you put some explosives and dynamite, and you built the house inside. Does that have to do anything with the electromagnetic soup that we're living in that you wanted to be out of that? Uh,
2: Exactly. um, Some of my work uh, is interfered with by frequencies and radiation that we have everywhere. And um, so I built an environment where I can work with my stuff and uh, I don't have to put up with any of the background white noise uh, and the constant bombardment of frequencies on every level imaginable from radio to infrared to microwave I mean it's all of that and uh, communication transmissions power systems all that stuff so I've been able to make a neutralized environment and um it works really well in a lot of things, but it also works really well with my um, my on the astronomy side with my telescopes because uh, they are shielded from all the interference, so I can really look at things on a more deeper level. And then um, what got us into another conversation was uh, I have my own power and my own water. Actually, my water. Comes from an aquifer straight out of the mountains of Blue Ridge, and it's um, it's an artesian well, and it puts out so much water, it's unreal. And I even sell some of the water back, there's so much of it. And then um, my power, I generate from a couple of things, but uh, a thorium reactor is uh, is in the heart of some of my systems. And people think, well, no, I can't be. You know, there is no thorium reactor. So, well, you better think again. You need to talk to a guy named Kirk Soreson. Now, Kirk Soreson is a graduate of Georgia Tech, and he started a company called Philby Energy. And he promotes the technology of thorium reactors and how it's safe and efficient, environmentally friendly.
1: How do you spell it? How do you spell Philby
2: uh Philby is uh, F I L B E. Okay. Philby Energy. And Kirk Soroson. Um I always kidded, Kirk I it. He had the last name of the guy who killed Captain Kirk. Soroson. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um and his name is Kirk.
1: <laughs> oh Kirk, K R I K, okay.
2: Yeah, Kirk Soroson. Um But anyway, um uh, the thorium reactors, see they they were really developed back in the 1950s. And we were going to go that route, but the uranium reactors with fission and fusion won because they wanted to develop and stockpile nuclear weapons at the time. So how stupid, how stupid. So they decided to go that route, which is dangerous because fission and fusion is really a hard thing to work with. Um However, to speak fairly for fusion, on my side, um, the rocket engine that I built years ago when I was 17, that was a fusion containment engine. It's electromagnetic fusion containment. And I was able to keep on working with that thing until I finally built a small reactor. And I have attained containment and have for years, and they're just knocking on the door of containment. They had a big deal over in England about it. And they're not going to get there because the design is wrong. I have told them over and over again that their design is wrong. They only got half of the design, and they're not listening. So, But they haven't obtained um, containment, which kind of hard to do it with only half the design. So anyhow, um, the way the thorium reactor is run is that um, there's no need for large containment buildings, uh, which that's a big problem for fusion fission. You see big cooling towers in the containment vessels uh, in between them. Uh, you won't need that with thorium. Thorium just heats up salt. <laughs> Molten salt, y'all, special type of salt. Thorium salt, it burns really hot, and um, they run it in the reactor. It creates enough heat that it will cause the water to steam. The steam's then vented out into a chamber that spins the turbines, which makes electricity. It's just that simple. And then if anything goes wrong with the uh, salt, uh, there's a frozen containment plug in the bottom of the reactor. And if you lose all power and control over it, the frozen plug, which is cooled by an external fan and coolant. Uh, it will melt, and then the whole reactor containment drains out into a passive container underneath the reactor, and it shuts everything down, and nothing can go to China Syndrome. It's impossible.
1: Let me go back. I, I have to come back to thorium for a second, but I, you know, somebody who was in real estate before, and obviously you worked at with Fortune 500 companies. You amassed an amount of wealth that allowed you to to. To do this. But how how do you go out with a realtor and say, hey, I want a mountain. I want a demolition company or explosives to blow it up so I can have a house inside. How do you do that?
2: Well, you present them with millions of cash. That
1: That got their attention.
2: Yeah. You throw down suitcases and suitcases of cash. Guess what? Well, all this waiting and all this red tape, it just evaporates. (laughs) It just evaporates. It just—it's amazing how that works. And
1: uh, <laughs> how, how long did it so, take for you to build it?
2: It uh, took me about—well, still doing stuff the way I want it, but took me about three years. And um, and it, it's actually been a lot of fun.
1: I don't know why I'm uh, thinking. It, it, does it look like a bat cave? I mean, basically, knowing you. No, uh,
2: it actually looks like. Um, I don't know if you ever seen those bunker homes that they built with missile silos. Yes. Uh they look very it looks very similar to that. Uh I instead of being round like the silos are, I do have uh, a more rectangular shape and um and I do have depth. Um uh, you know, that I have considerable floors that go down. Have an elevator in the center. Um but it looks very much like a. Um, uh, f- it looks like a regular home, uh, a really nice home, and um, you know, instead of doors going to outside, you have elevators, uh, and we're we have windows, but the windows are different. they're flat with the ground, or they're flat with the sheer of the mountain, so you can look out, and they're just like side windows. But nothing's protruding and you can't and from the sky if you come over a helicopter you can't really see my place. Uh but that was an added bonus or design I wanted where I didn't want people flying behind taking pictures. So um it's really nice and it's quiet. Um I've become very much I guess a recluse. Uh I don't have a Facebook, I don't have websites, I don't have I don't even carry a cell phone. Um I look at these morons running around, you know, just frantically tapping away at their screen. Nothing else matters, just that. And I'm going, that's a form of addiction. It is. And I thought, I don't I don't need that crap. Matter of fact, I don't even need a cell phone. I gave a lecture at MIT one day, and I said, um, uh, I don't have my cell phone with me. It's back on my kitchen table. So, if that cell phone, a smartphone, is so damn smart, how come it's sitting back in um, North Carolina and I'm here in California or Massachusetts, uh, wherever I'm at? And it got the point across. Um, I don't need that kind of technology hookup to survive or not even thrive, actually. And um, I do just fine without it. Um, we're way too dependent on that stuff, y'all. And when the grid goes down, and it will go down one day, and that grid's gone, and there goes all your cell phones, all your tablets, and your laptops, and your all the communication devices, everything shuts off, what are you going to do then? I had one kid tell me, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get on the Internet and call Amazon up and get everything we need to fix. And I'm going, are you even listening? You know, And I thought, that's the mentality out there? Nah. So, do you
1: think that that's on purpose, David, because we're going to be discussing transhumanism, singularity. Are we going to be Terminator or are we going to be Data? Uh, that's a question that I have for you for later. But do you think that the addiction that these uh, our youth have is because this is part of the plan. They're going to make him addicted to this. So when the time comes to merge them, merge them with an implant, they'll say, just tell me when.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When? You know, there won't be no argument about it. Let's jump right into it. Um, yeah, they uh, they got the sheep going down the chute just fine. And um, it's going to be grim, y'all. Um, that's actually a very positive way of looking at the future. The reason being, at least you're still alive. I don't even think as a species we're going to make it. The um, environment's going to collapse on you. Uh, there's just so many things that's hanging by threads, like I said earlier. Your grid is more fragile than a butterfly. Do you know there are seven substations in the United States if all seven of substations were knocked down Meltdown. your grid your grid would go down for two years and never come back.
1: not to mention the nuclear power plants I discussed this with with a few people. Years ago, when the, the, the grid goes down, if they lose power. And that's it. I'm going to touch something that maybe you have discussed before or not, but you probably have seen the videos of this individual. I forgot his name. I'll look for it later. But that he actually went inside of a nuclear power plant, swam inside of the allegedly radioactive pool, drank some radioactive material, nothing happened to him. And what he was implying was that this... BS of of radiation is not true. Is it true or not?
2: Well, if the only thing I can say is that that reactor wasn't running, because if it was running, he wouldn't be around. Uh, (laughs) I surely would have killed him. Um, I guess that might have been a test cell... dummy test cell that he...
1: Okay, so if it's true then, all these nuclear power plants around the nation, they only have a backup of days or maybe, I don't know, a week or two before they go into meltdown.
2: You're lucky if you got that much. Uh, It's more like in the hours. You got 24, 36 hours. Um, Most of them, there's 66 nuclear reactors running in the United States right now. So... They all are supposed to have systems checked where you practice, uh, you know, where you flush the systems, see if they work. Hardly any of them have ever had any systems checked. They're just, uh, they hold back for the money and uh, they just, you know, rubber stamp it. I would say probably more than a third of the reactors won't, their their backup systems and uh, fail safe systems for China syndrome aren't even working. Uh, So what happens when the grid goes down, they'll lose their power. They may have battery backups, if they even work, because I doubt they've checked them. And then you're out, and then what happens, the reactors uh, will still be getting hot. They get hotter until finally they can't, the containment cell can't hold it, and they melt. And they're so hot, they can melt, all the way through the earth to China, China Syndrome. However, it won't do that. What it will do, it will melt through, like a Chernobyl, it will melt through the floor of the plant, it will hit the cold earth underneath the plant, and when it hits that, you're going to get a blowback. And I mean, it's a blowback. It will explode back up through the containment cell and into the sky, throwing hundreds of thousands of tons of dirt all extremely radioactive and spreads everywhere. Uh, Chernobyl was a massive disaster. and The only way they got off the hook from it going to full uh, con- you know, uh, contamination was um, a helicopter pilot. Basically, he self-sacrificed. He, he died. What he did, he took uh, buckets and buckets. We're talking you know, 100-ton buckets on the end of the helicopter cable of concrete, and he flew into the radioactive cloud, and he dropped concrete on that surface and kept doing it over and over and over till he sealed it off. Well, when they got the pilot out of you know, the helicopter, the helicopter had to be buried. It was so hot. But the pilot had over a 1,000 Redkins in him. And he literally melted, and they sent him to the United States to try to help him, but basically he just dissolved. But the man did uh, stop Chernobyl from going worldwide. And that's the story of Chernobyl. It's there. If you look it up, you'll see that happened with the helicopter pilot. But they don't know that. But, uh, yeah, they don't talk about it much. And Fukushima, man, what a mess you got going on there. That thing is still burning. And they're pumping the ocean through it. <laughs> Imagine what this going to
1: be. We're in the 21st century. Why haven't they been able to mitigate that situation,
2: David? Because nobody will put up the money it takes, massive amounts of money, to build the systems that can safeguard those things and override them. It's always been the problem. They've always wanted to make a buck with it, but not spend the buck on protecting it. So uh, that's why you had such a mess. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to Fukushima. It's, it's still ongoing. Uh, at least Three Mile Island, Pennsylvania, and uh, Chernobyl, they were contained. Uh, but Fukushima is still ongoing.
1: But with with Japan, with yeah. Japan, with so many tsunamis and earthquakes and fault lines and so on in that part of the world, you would think that the Japanese would want to relocate some of those cities inland and I believe it was in 1967 that they voted
3: Thank you for listening To unlock the full two-hour interview including video formats, downloads transcripts, exclusive articles and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com